0: Yes, I know, that was a hard, hard song to stop playing. However, welcome to the 20th edition here on Cronoso. And this 20th edition of Cronoso will be bringing you the 20th episode of Saturday night's main event from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Then we're going to trickle on to the Boston Garden, MSG, all this in late March. And speaking of late March, is the final build of the Mega Powers before WrestleMania five where dave hall and i will break down and skimco all of the mega power happenings pretty much ever leading into wrestlemania five but really we're going to sink our teeth into the final five episodes of superstars where they did a bunch of interviews leading in to wrestlemania five so this is the last potpourri episode of three before we hammer wrestlemania five next episode so guys let's not waste any more time and get right to Cronoso.
1: The decision of a lifetime for the lovely Miss Elizabeth. She must choose between the hoaxer and the macho man once and for all. But it used to be different. Elizabeth held the mega powers together. The madness and the mania, like nitro and glycerin, powerful and explosive, furnished by Miss Elizabeth. She rode atop the wrestling world. But then, the uncover of the trap and humiliation of the hoaxer by the macho man. And then, the vicious. The the heavy metal championship, about the hopes war. Oh, oh, not I'm going to splatter you right on him. Uh, I'm going to splatter you right on him. Uh, but watch yeah. all oh, man. Still enraged, Brutally thrusting Elizabeth into solid concrete. The mega powers were no more. And so tonight, Elizabeth must choose whose corner to stand in at WrestleMania 5. It's a decision of a lifetime. On Saturday night, Made Man music Wrestling, not women, and the man I want to see tonight is Bad News Brown, the toughest street fighter in the entire World Wrestling Federation. Take on your buddy Hulk Hogan, yes, Jesse. But of course, and if you want glitter, Jack, you'll get it tonight as the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, heads for the ring with his new million dollar belt for the first time on national television against the Blue Blazer. Well, Jesse, from there, and the brightest man in professional sports today, Bobby the Brain Heathen. Makes it a real family affair. First, the Brooklyn brawler takes on the Red Rooster. Then again, his brain busters meet the Rockers. And finally, ravishing Rick Rude will blunt the scissors of Brutus the Barber. Enough already, Jesse. No, enough of you, McMahon. Mean Gene is standing by. I'm supposed to say that. So what?
2: Hey, now. What is up, Cronoso? Steve Bennett here. Kicking off the episode tonight, getting the leadoff spot. Ricky Henderson, like, sliding into the batter's box and excited about this one. Cronoso has led us to Hershey, Pennsylvania in the Hershey Park Arena. It was an arena that Vince McMahon really liked back in this era and even before. And they did a lot of tapings there. They did a few Saturday Night's Main events there. And it was an arena he really liked. And one I really wanted to talk about. Uh, because it's one I really like as well. It's the second oldest still operating hockey rink in North America. And um it's in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's been replaced for the most part by the Giant Center, which is sort of across the way uh where the the Hershey Bears play now, their AHL team, and where Raw would be and big events like that. But it still runs or still um you know, minor hockey there, youth hockey and hockey schools like the one that I worked when I was in college, Sport International Hockey Academy, and I actually spent a week at the Hershey Park Arena, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, This old barn, you know, was built way back in 1935. They broke ground, and it opened in 1936. It was the primary tenant in the building, was the AHL's Hershey Bears from 1938 until 2002 when the Giant Center opened which is an unbelievable run. The Lebanon Valley Fighting Dutchmen still play there. Uh, They're a D3 college hockey team, and uh, they still play uh, in this old barn at 100 West Hershey Park Drive in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's right next to Hershey Park. Uh, Hershey Stadium is there. I actually saw Pearl Jam in 2003 at Hershey Stadium. Um, And near it is also uh, called the Milton Hershey School. Um, and when I worked my hockey school here, uh, I had the older group, the oldest kids. Uh, it was uh, the the group you never wanted was the youngest kids, uh, because they need you need to tie their skates. You're in the locker room tying skates all day. Uh, the older kids were always great because they're you know they take care of themselves, um, and um, they're usually the most motivated hockey players, most focused. So you could have a lot of fun. Well, um, the Milton Hershey School. Uh, was founded for troubled youth uh, by Milton Hershey. And it used to be called the Hershey Industrial School. It's a private boarding school. It's K-12. It was founded in 1909 by Milton Hershey and his wife, Catherine Hershey. And as a reward to the students who did well, they got a chance to be in the hockey school, the Sport International Hockey Academy. So that week, I had a group of kids from the Hershey School. Now, the interesting thing about those kids is technically they own Hershey Park. Um, They have ID cards that allow them to go in and out of it. Uh, You know, they get free concessions and things there. And they have guest passes. And my kids would bring me to Hershey Park at night and get me a hot pretzel. We'd ride the roller coasters. It was a great week. And they were great kids, and they busted their ass on the ice. And uh, when I was a kid, when I was in college, I had a Pearl Jam problem uh, and I spent a lot of money on Pearl Jam concerts. Uh, So I had to work hockey schools in between and I would bust my ass for a few weeks on the road with the hockey school, then come off and go on the road with Pearl Jam for a few weeks. Um, But this is one of those weeks that didn't feel like work. It was amazing to be there. I met a guy when I was there who was in charge of the facility. You know, usually when we would show up at the rink. There'd be someone as a representative of the rink to sort of give us keys and tell us what we had access to, tell us what we didn't. Well, he had been there, you know, since the 1950s or something, a long time in play. I think he'd been there 40 years at the time, 50 years at the time. So he was there when Saturday Night's Main Event was hosted there, when the WWF would come there. And I asked him about it, and he told me, he showed me where the locker rooms would be, showed me where the wrestlers would walk out, you know, told me stories about meeting Hulk Hogan and uh you know uh meeting Vince McMahon and the TV cameras and you know all all about it and i just remember skating around the first uh, the first 10 minutes of the week you know i was the first one out on the ice and the 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 lights were dimmed you know they were turning on there's these lights when they turn them on it takes like 20 minutes for them to get bright so the it was this sort of almost romantic thing like i'm on this fresh sheet of sheet of ice under these dimmed lights and, you know, there's all these 8,000 seats empty around me. And it's just me out there with my skates and a puck. And I remember just skating around, you know, getting to center ice and thinking, ah, this is where the ring was, you know. This is where Hulk Hogan body slammed someone. And, you know, this is where the Hershey Bears played in the 1940s. There's hockey here. And I just remember soaking it all in. And it was such a cool experience. You know, I was a high school good hockey player, a very good high school player in Buffalo. Uh, I was all Western New York as a senior and I played four years of varsity, Uh, but I was only high school good. Uh, So after high school was over, um, I played a lot of competitive roller hockey and I and I coached and it, it kept me part of the game. And one of my best weeks ever doing that was at the Hershey Arena. Um, with those kids from the Milton Hershey school, uh, later when I started to become a prevention specialist in Buffalo and I worked in the Buffalo public schools, I actually helped a kid from Buffalo get admitted to the Milton Hershey school. Um, I called my contact there and I told them about this kid that I had that was having trouble at home and he really needed something. And, uh, he found his way to the Milton Hershey school. Um, and he graduated from there and went on to college at Penn state and um, is a successful, you know, human being now. And I really, uh, not, I didn't do anything. It was the Milton Hershey School um, that really helped him and changed his life. Um, So thank God I worked that week and was able to do that. But um, the Hershey Arena, the Hershey Park Arena, you know, what a place, Um, you know, what a history it's had. Um, You know, Saturday night's main event there, Hulk Hogan teamed with Andre the Giant and faced Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy there. You know, in 1953, President Dwight Eisenhower uh, had a birthday celebration there. Um, you know, bands have played there. Uh, the Philadelphia Warriors played there. And Will Chamberlain recorded his 100-point game in the Hershey Arena against the Knicks. Something I'm sure we'll never see again. Um, and it's just a legendary arena. It's still there today. And if you get a chance to go to Hershey Park, see if they have open skating and just... Skate in that barn and and feel the history and the nostalgia of it. Um, I want to thank Ryan and Cronoso for giving me a chance to share my memories there. Um, Every Friday in the school, we'd have a a game called the, you know, the Pylon Cone Cup. And uh, I remember the other instructor said, there's a lot of good seats still available for the big game on Friday. Of course, there was 8,000 seats in the place. Uh, We didn't sell it out like Hulk and Andre did. uh, But we had a solid, you know. 45 people I think in the building that night uh, Which I was coaching And won another Pylon Cup One of my many I won over the years At Sport International Hockey Academy Shout out to my boss Bobby Poopy Poopypants um, But that's it for Cardoso for me today um, It was a, a pleasure to, to start it off and to kick it off But I know uh, I know my good buddy uh, My close personal friend Luke Is waiting in the wings to tell you about Beefcake and Root. So that's it for me this time. Uh, but WrestleMania 5 is right around the corner. Um, and I'm getting a team together. Uh, to talk about the Mega Powers explosion. Uh, on YouTube and here on Cronoso. Uh, check out the Sportscasters pod if you can. At Sports underscore Casters. I just posted the season 14 premiere. Uh, I was had an hour uh, to interview my hero. Uh, Bob Costas. So what a thrill it was. Uh, so check that out if you can. Uh, but for now. Ding, ding, ding. Here's Luke.
3: Hello again, Cronoso. I am your host for this segment, Mr. Luke Jennings. Hoping the podcast finds you well. Hoping you are having a very nice festive time. You can find us on uh, the other side, the Place to Be Wrestling Network, where we uh, host the Memphis Content Wrestling Cast, the, uh, the Monday Night Project, and Hamburg All-Stars. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Old Bakery Pro. But for this week, or for this uh, Cronoso, we are covering Rick Rude versus British Beefcake from the March the 11th, 1989 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. As we like to do, we like to see what else has been happening around the rest of the wrestling world on this day. On this day is a Superstars uh, show. Superstars this week is from Binghamton, New York, the Broome County Arena. Jake Roberts versus Johnny Zeigler, Greg Valentine and Honky Tonk Man versus David Studemeyer and Tim Horner, the Blue Blazer versus Gino Carabella, Brent Bert Sinton, Santinero, and Terry Daniels versus the Brainbusters, Danny Davis and Tim Sawyer versus the Bushwhackers. There is also an NWA show. Where they are getting a Bob Cook and the Raider versus the Midnight Express, the Iron Sheik versus George South, Mike Rotundo against Cougar J, Sting versus Julio Barrera, Ric Flair versus Greg Evans, Barry Windham versus Gator Gilmore, Mike Thor and Morgan, Morgan Bastian versus the Varsity Club, that being Dan Spivey and Kevin Sullivan, Eddie Gilbert and Ricky Steiner versus Max Mills and Trent Knight, Butch Reed versus Joe Cruz. Bob Emery and Randy Malky versus the Samoan SWAT team. Michael Hayes, Vince Young and the Junkyard Dog versus Rip Morgan and the Cruel Connection. The WWF also has some shows on this day. March the 11th in Nashville, Tennessee, the Auditorium. They are witnessing Tito Santana versus Ted DiBiossi. Rick Martel versus Mr. Perfect. The Red Rooster versus the Brooklyn Brawler, the Rockers versus the Brainbusters, Big John Stead versus Hakim, the Ultimate Warrior versus Big Boss Man. There's also a show in the Market Square Arena, Indianapolis, Indiana. Paul Roma versus Barry Horwitz. King Hakul versus Hercules, Bret Hart versus the Honky Tonk Man, the Bushwhackers versus the Rujos. Jim Duggan vs. Dino Bravo, Bruce Beefcake vs. Rick Rude, Randy Savage vs. Bad News Brown. There's also another show in Cadillac, Michigan in the Wexford Civic Centre. Only two matches listed on that, but I don't imagine there was more. The two matches listed are Andre the Giant vs. Jake the Snake Roberts and The Powers of Pain versus Demolition. But we are here and we are on Saturday Night's main event. If you want to watch this match, you can. It is on the, um, the Video Watching Network. Over on uh, ChewYube, it is simply just put in Ravishing Rick Rude versus Brewster Barber Beefcake 1989. And you can watch this part of the show if you so wish. So without further ado, let's head down to ringside to see what's going to be happening in this exciting match.
1: Oh yeah, Mean Gene, with a haircut like yours, you're a fine one to make jokes about hairstyling. styling. With a glare that sometimes shines off your head, Jesse, I don't think you consider yourself an expert either. Brutus on the way to, the lead, to this
3: Great audio here, sounds like Vince is in the toilet.
1: What's in the Whoa. bag right there? Whoa. Now why should he be allowed to carry those in the ring, McMahon? to during the match. It's still the intimidation factor. It's an illegal foreign object that should be not be allowed in that ring. Referee Dave Ender will maintain control. Not too sure.
3: Take a look at the look of so it there's also so just, the just to see the rundown of this media. card. You know. Just to give you the rundown of this card, uh, this show was taped on the 16th of February in the Hershey Park Arena, 9,000 people. When it aired on the 11th, it did a 10.0 TV rating. Uh, being British, I don't know what that means. Sounds pretty good. So there's going to be Rick Rude versus British Beefcake. We've got Hulk Hogan versus Bad News Brown. The Blue Blazer versus Ted DiBiase. The Brain Busters versus the Rockers. Brooklyn Brawler versus the Red Rooster. Cuck. This is the 20th episode of uh, Saturday Night's Main Event, and we are starting off with the Colin number type. Uh, Randy, No, British Boothcake is wearing oh, white tights, white boots. Uh, Ravish and Rick is wearing green trunks with the Ultimate Warrior on them. Colin Erber type and both men are going round and round the ring. Bobby Heenan is here with Rick Rude. Last month, or last time on the Show, we covered Rick Rude versus Tito Santana, and Rick Rude wasn't there. Beefcake wailing away on Rude here. Irish whips him. Big back by drop by Beefcake. Dave Hipner is our refer. I think it's... I think that's Earl. It may be Dave, but I think it's Earl. Both as shite as each other. Rick Rude's in the corner, backing off. Big kick by Beefcake. Mike McGurk looks like she's at ringside. Beefcake's now straddling Rude. Going for the big ten punches in the corner. Boom. 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 Five. Oh, no, just does five. And Rude is uh, not knowing where Beefcake is, turns around. Sleeper hold, sleeper hold by Beefcake. Sleeper! Beefcake got. Th- uh, Beefcake let go of the sleeper and just shoved Rude into the corner. Beefcake. Now measuring uh, Rude for some more turnbuckle. Oh, both men with glorious hair. Rude's now straddling Rude again. he going to go for more five punches. Oh, one, two. No, Rude catches him, Rude stops him, and... Inferred atomic drop. Down goes Beefcake. Rude now stalking Beefcake. Beefcake is down, holding his balls. Bobby's giving, he, uh, Bobby's giving some Rude some instructions. Tell him to uh, attack, attack, attack. Rude's now measuring him. What's he going to do? Beefcake. No, it Turns around. Oh, big right hand slugs. Beefcake right in the mush. Irish rip there by Rude. Oh, neat of the gut. who has got under Rude's trunks, he's got him on the front and then Warrior on the back obviously they're, they're going to be facing each other uh, coming up at Wrestlemania 5 big right hands by uh, Rude elbow at the back of the head also oh, forearm at the back of the head, kick by Rude so go for a suplex uh, oh, beautiful snap, suplex there by Rick Rude goes for the cover, one, two, kick out should have hooked the leg, man. Reverse chin lock now by
1: Rude. McMahon. make hold his reverse Huh. Huh.
3: Huh. McMahon. Crowd getting behind Beefcake. Beefcake's trying to get up to his, he's up to his feet. Oh elbow by beefcake, elbow beef beefcake. Oh no, Rude with a handful of hair. Puts uh, Rude back puts uh, beefcake back down to the ground. Oh Andre the Giants that comes down the ringside. What the hell's going on here? Beefcake's up to his feet. Oh and drops down, George jacker George Jacker! Andre's down there with uh, Bobby for some reason. Rick Rude now stalking Beefcake again. Oh, Beefcake ducks to right hand and a reverse atomic drop on Rude. Oh, Rude, not happy there, holding the jewels. Like we said last time we saw Rick Rude, Rick Rude one of the best sellers of an atomic drop. Oh, Rude hardened at the corner. Oh, but Beefcake coming running into the knees. That's not the last time Beefcake's going to be uh, face-first in someone's knees. <laughs> oh, Ru- oh, Andre just sitting on Beefcake on the outside. <laughs> oh. Andre now grabbing Beefcake, choking him. Choking the life out of him from behind. Rick Ru- Rick, Rude distracting the referee while Andre's choking the life out of Beefcake. The crowd are going bananas so someone must be coming down. Oh, Jake the Snake, Jake the Snake's coming down, he's, he's got the bag, he's got his snake. Andre's just seen him, Andre's just, uh, oh, Rick Rude from behind attacks Jake the Snake. Rude rolls Roberts into the ring. Bell has rung, the bell has rung. Andre's holding Jake while uh, Rude pummels him in the gut. Big headbutt by Andre. These two are also meeting at WrestleMania Five. With a special guest referee. Rude's now being, Rude's pummeling on Jake still while Andre's choking the life out of him. Beefcake's still on the outside, following being, after he's sat on and then choked by Andre. Bobby very happy with what's happening here. Well, Beefcake's now up. Beefcake now getting himself up and. Oh, right hand to Rude, right hand to Rude, right hand to Rude. Andre still choking away on Snake, Snake Man. Oh, atomic drop by Beefcake on Rude. And a clothesline sends him over the top rope down to the floor. Excuse me, Beefcake now wailing away on Andre, but Andre's like, what the fuck are you doing? I don't like you. I like wine, and I like to fart. Andre now picking up Beefcake, kicks Roberts out of the ring. Oh, big chop by Andre. Big chop by Andre. Now choking him, putting that massive mitt of his around the fucking throat of beefcake. I don't like you. Oh, Big John Studd. Big John Studd's now coming down the ring. Bobby Heenan can't believe what he's seeing. Big John Studd over the top rope. Rude and Androck. Uh, 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 Andre sees him. They're now coming face to face. I don't like you. I am only giant in WWF, you'll go back to wherever you've come from. A feud as old as time, Big John Studd versus Andre the Giant, at least from 1981, if not beforehand. Jake gets the snake and he rams it into the ring and Andre sees it and goes scurrying over the top rope, scurrying to the outside. One of the last times Andre saw that snake, he had a goddamn heart attack. Big well, tell you what, Big the so Bruce Beefcake is the winner. He has just beaten Rick Rude by disqualification. We saw, uh, so we've seen a culmination of WrestleMania 5 feuds. Uh, we've seen, um, yeah, beefcakes. What does beefcake? I can't remember what beefcake's doing at WrestleMania 5. Uh, Rude's facing Warrior. Jake's versus faces Andre was stud as a referee. What does beefcake do? What does beefcake do? What does beefcake Bad news. I can't remember. Sure, but it just beefcake beef even at restaurant. I can't remember. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully we will be back again in the future episode of Chronoso. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Old Bakery Pro. You can find us over on the Place to Be Wrestling Network, Memphis Continental Wrestling Cast, uh, Hamburg All Stars, Monday Night Project. I have been your host for this segment of Chronoso. Please enjoy the next segment. And until next time, ta ta.
4: North-South Connection, and this is Steve Riddle back again for another edition of Carnoso here on the North-South Connection feed. We are continuing our journey here through Saturday night's main event number 20 from March 11th, 1989 on NBC. Uh, of course, we are in the Hershey Park Arena in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which I guess technically would be at the time uh, would have been my home, my home uh Home arena, even though I haven't didn't see a lot of shows there, particularly around this time. Uh, Of course, we are continuing the march towards WrestleMania Five, and and the match I'm going to be talking about here today on uh, on Carnoso as part of Saturday Night's main event is the I guess the feature match of the uh, episode here that sees Hulk Hogan take on Bad News Brown. Of course, uh, Hogan. Uh, Preparing for his big showdown with former Mega Power partner and current uh, World Wrestling Federation champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage, at WrestleMania 5 in Atlantic City. Uh, Bad News kind of still on the periphery, though. Um, Of course, he had been kind of spent through the uh, end of 88 and 89 challenging Savage uh, for the title. But this is kind of the the end of his run here. Uh, We get a quick... uh, like pre tape with uh, Hogan as he says that he's going to defend Miss Elizabeth's honor, something that the macho man has not done. Uh we then get a great uh, good little interview here as Jesse talks to Bad News. Of course they bring up how Bad News uh brought had ac- accused um excuse me, Jack Tunney of um, doing favors, uh well actually Elizabeth doing favors, quote, uh for Jack Tunney to protect uh to protect Savage, which was of course pretty uh, you know, Insane for that time frame. Of course, he says that he is not going to let anything get in his way. All he cares about is getting a title shot, and he will go through Hogan to get it tonight. We didn't get a great, we didn't get an interview with Hogan and Mean Gene as Hogan again. And kind of, kind of interesting. He tells Gene to shut up about the uh, accusations by Brown. Uh, he says that he, like, he is going to do what Savage has not done, and that's protect the honor of Miss Elizabeth. Uh, he will, of course, take Brown out tonight before going after Savage and the title at Mania. And, of course, the uh, big hook for this show specifically is that um, Elizabeth was going to be choosing whose corner uh, she was going to be in at WrestleMania, either uh, Savage's or Hogan's. Of course, that has not happened yet. That is going to be later in the show. Uh, But right now, we are focused on Uh, This particular match here, of course, as I um, am want to do, I am live watching it. Uh, If you are following along with me via Peacock, we are at 19 minutes and 40 seconds. Hogan is on the apron, Uh, bad news way in the ring, and we will get going in three, two, one, play. Of course, uh, crowd going uh, wild here for for Hogan as he's still extremely over. Now he is uh, bringing uh, Elizabeth into the ring. Of course, Vince and Jesse still talking about uh. What happened? That's the main event when uh, Savage turned on Hogan, in essence, hitting him with the belt. And what happened with Elizabeth? Of course, Jesse's still pushing the fact that that it was that Hogan was lusting after Elizabeth. And of course, Vince uh, vehemently uh, defending Hogan, like he's uh, one, like he is one to do at this time. Of course, like I said, Bad News had uh, kind of spent the uh, late '80s into early '90s, still kind of feuding with Savage on the house shows. Um, And then they, but they never really had. They never really had a bit of a blow off on TV, at least to my recollection. Of course, by now Savage, um, I mean he still was kind of a tweener. I guess he hadn't really turned heel fully. And oh, and uh, bad news, you know, a little cheap shot. And the referee, there, uh, Joey Morello, was checking Hogan, um, and Bad News took advantage. Now uh, taking advantage here, like I said, now uh, getting his uh, shots in here on Hogan. Kind of an interesting little matchup here. You never would have thought about uh, Hulk Hogan and uh, Bad News Brown. Um, you know, Bad News at this point, like I said, still kind of you know going as a t- you know kind of a you know mid card heel. Um, I think he was still undefeated by this point in terms of like singles action. I don't know if they mentioned that if they'll mention that in the commentary. And oh, nice uh, chop to the throat there by uh, by Bad News. Looks like he's uh, measuring him for the elbow. Oh, but Hogan gets out of the way just in time, and he does it again. And now Hogan is on his feet. Crowd's starting to get fired up here. As now Hogan's starting to lay the wood down here on Bad News, and knocks him right through the ropes to the outside. And now Hogan going out after him. Of course, there's Vince trying to say that Bad News is uh, comfortable out there on the floor because he is such because he is a street fighter. As uh, Hogan uh, got a shot in, but then back into the ring. <laughs> Bad News yelling at the fans to uh, to shut up as he's uh, making his way back in. And now Hogan's going to bring him in the hard way, slingshining him into the ring. And now raking his boot across uh, across Brown's face. See, now taking advantage here with another big shot. And looks like, oh, oh Brown, uh, reversal. But Hogan knocks Brown down, duck underneath. And then, ooh, big clothesline by Hogan, almost kind of like his little uh, axe bomber that he would do in Japan. Hogan now dropping the the elbow on Bad News Twice, now picking him up, shoot off the ropes, hits the big boot. But I said does not go for the leg drop. He decides to, he's actually he's pulling Bad News up by his beard, and now rams him into the buckle. But Bad News actually no soul, then he hits a butt on Hogan. And you see Elizabeth there uh, cheering. Cheering Hogan on. Of course, Jesse, when they were coming out, Jesse was like, oh, it looks like Elizabeth's already made her choice. Look at the happy couple there, McMahon. Irish whip into the corner. And again, Hogan catches him with a boot. Now looking maybe for an atomic drop. Yes, and that sends bad news over the top to the floor. Now Hogan again going outside here. Out to uh, we're bat- And uh, Brown getting the uh, shot in there. And now it looks like he's trying to ram him into the guardrail, but Hogan blocks it. And now it's Hogan that sends bad news into the guardrail. Crowd really hot for this. Obviously, you know Hogan's still pretty over as a face, even though you could argue that uh, during this little thing here with uh, with Savage, that he was kind of almost the heel, um, the way he was going after with the way you know Elizabeth was getting involved. And uh, Brown just whips Hogan right into the post, sizing him up for the punch, but Hogan avoids it, and and Brown hits the post with his fist. Oh, now Bad News uh, getting frustrated here. He grabs a chair. But Hogan manages to block it, and Hogan rams the chair into Bad News's head. Although it looked like Bad News actually no sold that as well, because he quickly grabbed the chair. Well, now he's ran, now he's hitting himself with it. Looking under the ring for something, kind of looking, just looking around, seeing if he can find. He's not really finding anything. Hogan kind of waiting patiently in the ring, and now Bad News trying, and he can't find anything. And now Bad News starting to go back, starting to go to the back. He's, he said, he said to, uh, he told Hogan, to, told him to the ref to wait as he heads to the, um, as he's heading to the back and he's saying all the way to the back, kind of a little, uh, weird bet here. Of course, the referee wanting to, uh, count, uh, count him out, but Hogan's telling him not to. And now Brown looks like he's got a, uh, looks like he's got a shovel and there were some other referees that were keeping him from bringing that down to the ring. So now we get a, get a little, uh, commercial break here. And now we're back and now bad news again, Shovel still in hand, now bringing it with him to the ring. And now Hogan out- goes outside, grabs at the shovel, gets a knee into Bad News, and now looks like we're going to re- uh, reset here. As Hogan throws Bad News into the ring. Kind of a little, uh, <laughs> little weird bit there that we saw here. But now Hogan taking full control here, pounding away at Bad News in the corner. Irish whip into the other corner. Oh, but Bad News comes out of it with a clothesline. Knocking Hogan down. Much to the uh, fan chagrin there, and to Vince's even. <laughs> and now bad news in full back in full control, pounding away at Hogan now, ramming Hogan's head into the mat. Now bad news, uh, completely in control here, and another headbutt. <laughs> Jesse's saying that uh, Hogan bit off a little more than he can chew here. I mean, if you think about it, this, is on paper kind of a little bit of a mismatch, and now bad news with a uh, looking for a big slam. And does it now. Now it's a leg drop on Hogan. Hogan's own move against him, but Hogan kicks out with authority. Bad News on can't believe what he's just saying. Now kicks Hogan back down to the mat. And Hogan rolls outside to try to regroup right at the uh, feet of Elizabeth. Trying to uh, get him back into uh, the swing of things. But now Bad News goes outside as well. Kind of scares her away. Ramming Hogan into the apron. And now, and now stalking Elizabeth. Yeah, but here comes Hogan from behind. And nailing Bad News. Stopping him from getting Elizabeth and <laughs> a little pulling up on the tights there a little too much, showing uh, Brown's uh, under tights there. And, and Hogan again into the post. And now Brown's shoving Hogan back into the ring. It's been a pretty, uh, you know, kind of back and forth match here that you probably wouldn't have expected. You kind of almost would have thought Hogan would have uh, dominated. And now Russian leg sweep there by, by bad news. Going for another pin. Oh, but Hogan's foot underneath the bottom rope. That is, enough to, uh, that is enough to make a uh, force a break. And of course, Jesse's saying, oh, Hogan's lucky that, that he was close to the ropes. And he could save himself. Brown there with another uh, big elbow. Now he's uh, getting all cocky here as he thinks he's got full control. Pounding away at Hogan. And again, knocking him down. Now, now calling for the microphone. <laughs> so first he goes to the back to try to bring a shovel in. And now he bring, gets the mic. He's uh, Now Hogan grabbing at uh, Brown's leg bad news taunting them saying oh he's begging he's begging he wants he says he's not you know he says you know he wants mercy now he's calling for the uh for his for his big finisher there comes the kettle blaster but hogan avoids it just in time just saying that you know bad news made a huge mistake by uh calling a shot and now hogan's starting to uh go to that place and i'm not talking about like randy orton when he goes to that place uh, Hogan's starting to uh, get fired up here now. Here comes the, the Hulk up. There's probably going to be uh, curtains here soon for Bad News. Duck under the clothesline. Oh, a high knee by Hogan. That's something you see out of him that often. And there's the leg drop. That's how you do it. Cover. And there's the three. Hulk Hogan with a huge victory over Bad News Brown here at Saturday Night's Main Event as Elizabeth looks on um, approvingly. And she will now get in the ring here as uh, she and Hogan... Are going to uh, do a little celebrating here. Um, of course, like I said, but like I said, she still has a major decision to make later tonight, and she will choose whose corner she's going to be in um, at WrestleMania either Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage. Whose corner will she choose? Well, you'll have to continue listening to find out, but that is going to do it for me. Uh, you can usually find me on all my shows, um, across all the feeds, um, on not just here, but also on the uh, North uh, Place to Be Wrestling feed and the Place to Be Pop feed. I'll be sure to follow all that. I am Steve Riddle. Thank you for listening. Uh, that will do it, like I said, for me as we continue on here with Saturday tonight's main event number 20 here on Cronoso.
5: Hey there, everyone. It's me again, Down Under Thunder, back on another episode of Cronoso. And I get to continue our journey through this episode of Saturday night's main event. And I'm bringing you a match between the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and the Blue Blazer. Now, we haven't seen a lot of the Blue Blazer here on the uh, Cronoso journey, uh, but I've seen a bit of DBRC recently. Uh, if you remember, if you were listened last episode, you would have heard me cover a Ted DBRC match from Superstars of Wrestling against Sam Houston, and it's going to be really interesting to compare and contrast those two matches in in just a few minutes, uh, because there's a lot of similarities. In how DBRC wrestles the match. And yet at the same time, there's some significant differences in this match uh, that show that the Blue Blazer was being presented in a very different way to Sam Houston was on Superstars. So, anyway, uh, we are back from break after our, our Hulk Hogan match. And in the back, Mean Gene Oakland is with Ted DiBiase and Virgil. And Gene wants to be shown the million-dollar belt. And DiBiase has this great line. He says, I'll show you what you'll never have. Um, it's a beautiful line, just the arrogance and, and uh, superiority of Ted DiBiase. Gene notes that the belt isn't sanctioned. And DiBiase says, who cares? What's more important is Money. It's more important than whether or not his title is sanctioned. Uh, mean Gene asks DiBiase about the blue blazer and notes that the blazer is a shining star. And DiBiase says, well, does he shine more brightly than these golden diamonds? And Gene says, well, no. And I'm actually surprised at that answer because normally with a good guy, a face, you would um, they would normally... Say something like, "Yes, they are brighter than that," but not not in this case. And anyway, DBRC says, "Well, his star is about to fall," and with that, DBRC makes his way out to the ring. And again, no music. We're still not there yet. No <laughs> money, 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 money. Down, now down, 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 now Um, DBRC is making his way to the ring. Jesse starts harping on about how beautiful the million dollar belt is. Uh, he's impressed with the belt. It's the most beautiful one he's ever seen in 14 years in the business. And you know I, I probably agree it's probably still the most beautiful looking belt in the history of the Bills and I've been watching wrestling since 1986. I'm coming up on like nearly 40 years of watching wrestling. Wow that that just that just blows me away. We go back to mean Gene Oakland, who's with the Blue Blazer. And um and Blazer basically, you know, you know what? If you close your eyes when the Blue Blazer does an interview, he sounds so much like Owen Hart. It it's astonishing. It it just the similarities. I can't believe and, and if you actually look closely at the blue blazer, he's very similar in. Body shape and height to, to Owen Hart. It's it's really it's really astounding. Um, I wonder if those two will ever cross our paths again, or ever cross each other's path for that matter. <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, Blue Blazer is excited to be on Saturday Night's main event, and he's and he notes that the heavy belt of the Million Dollar Man is going to keep him grounded, but he's going airborne, and that's why he's going to ring. So the the really cool sort of you know, oh, I don't know how, sort of, you know, gal- galactic sounding laser sound music of um the blue blazer comes. He runs to the ring. He backflips from the top rope and turns around and boom, Ted DiBiase hits him with a clothesline just as he's in the ring. Very similar to what we saw last episode where he attacked Sam Houston just as he entered the ring. We'll get back to that in a moment. Um. Debiasi runs Blazer into the turnbuckles, hits a series of punches. And what's interesting is, is Blazer's cape that he was wearing has caught around his leg. He hasn't been able to get it off yet, and it's caught around his leg. And Debiasi sends him for an Irish rip, and Blazer is struggling to get across the ring because the cape is attached to his leg, and it's dragging. Um, so Debiasi hits a back elbow, and at this point, the ref is able to get the cape off his leg. Um, DBRC then la- lands a slam and drops three very beautiful elbow drops, and then he turns around and he's gloating to the crowd. Um, very different to what we saw last episode. Last episode, DBRC was quick, quick, quick. This episode, he's gloating to the crowd a little bit. Um, he goes back to Blazer, and Blazer locks up a small package for a two count and then gets a backslide for two. So, Blazer back onto the offense. DBRC rakes the eyes of um, Blazer. And you know, sends him to the ropes and hits another clothesline. And Jesse, at this point, says that DBRC is showing a viciousness that's going to win the bout. He says that that's why he thinks he will win, as opposed to the Blue Blazer. The Blazer is not vicious enough. DBRC lands a double axe handle off the second rope, and again walks around gloating to the crowd and giving the money signs. We see a beautiful, nice overhead suplex by DBRC. Textbook is what Jesse calls it, um, and Jesse notes that DBRC is not rushing in the ring; he's deliberate, and um, and it's really important. And and this I think is the difference in in the last match. In the last match with Houston, everything was moving very quickly as a superstars match. Here, DBRC is able to slow things down a little bit, but I think it also imp- it highlights that when you've got a guy on the rise through the cars, like the blue blazer is shown, you want to highlight them a little bit. You want to get over that. They're trying to fight back. You want to get over that, that there's a genuine contest here. Whereas on superstars, it really is just beat up the guy quickly and end the match, they really don't stand a chance. So I think there's the contrast of what we're seeing. Although they're very similar approaches. There's a big difference. Um, DBRC sends Blazer into the ropes again. This time the Blazer does a flip over DBRC, lands on his feet, comes off the, off the ropes from the other side and close lines DBRC to the outside. And then comes off the ropes and dives through the second rope on top of DBRC to the floor. Now, this is at the time for 1909, this is really sensational stuff. Fast-paced, quick action all of a sudden. And Blazer's doing a few things that that weren't normally seen in WWF at that time. Now, by modern standards, very basic offense for a a high flyer. But in 1989, this was very unique in the WWF, and it really made the Blazer stand out. Um, Blazer then ducks a clothesline on the floor, and it hits an atomic drop, and DBRC goes into the ring post. What we're seeing in this match is DBRC is really giving blazer a lot of shine while in the last in the last episode in this match against sam houston dbrc sold a couple of moves and it looked like houston might get an upset in this match the blazer looks like he's competitive that he deserves his spot it wouldn't be an upset so it'd probably be an upset because of their level of standing on the card but blazer is certainly competing in this match um blazer sends him back into the ring And Jesse asked the question, if the blue Blazer wins this match, does he get the million-dollar belt? Vince says he doesn't think so, but I love that Jesse throws it out there uh, already. It could be an option. Um, Blazer hits crossbody off the top rope for a two-count, and Ted DiBiase is begging off. He wants no more of this. Blazer kicks him in the stomach um, and hits a back body drop, and then the two nice drop kicks, and DiBiase is in a world of trouble. Blazer hits two European uppercuts and gets another two count. So Blazer's getting a ton of offense, a ton of shine, and a lot of near falls. And he looks good doing it. We get an Irish whip. Um, Blazer drops to the mat um, as DBRC goes over the top. And then he leaps at DBRC, And DBRC turns it into a power slam for a three count. DBRC wins the match in very similar circumstances to how he beat Sam Houston. With sort of a power slam out of nowhere. But I really, as I said before, I think the difference in the two matches when we compare when we compare the matches, we see that um, you know DBRC sort of dominates the match. He gets the clean win, gets it with the power slam, and he allowed the other guy to get a few moves in and and a couple of near pinfall attempts. But as I said, the difference between those two matches is firstly. The Blazer is presented more on DBRC's level. He gets in a lot more offense, and DBRC is begging off, and DBRC is struggling. The other thing that is a contrast in this match is the commentary. The commentary is putting Blazer over big time. Both Vince and Jesse are, are talking the Blazer up. That the type of moves he's doing, that the, the way he's competing in the match, the way he almost is DBRC's equal. Um, almost, it's not. He's not, as I said, he's not an equal, and it's and it's expected that DiBiase is going to win, but Blazer is certainly pulled over. Whereas in the Sam Houston match on Superstars, they didn't really talk about Houston at all. They were talking about other things, which was at that time the Mega Powers breakdown. The other thing that happens that shows the difference between the two is at the end of the match, DiBiase gets his belt and sort of stands in the ring taking in the adulation gloating. I mean, there's no adulation, but he's just gloating. There's no humiliation of the blue blazer, no post-match attack, no shoving money down blazers mouth. There's a respect shown blazer nearly beat him and he's happy for the win, but he leaves blazer alone. Blazer doesn't get humiliated to finish this match. So, this is how you help elevate someone as opposed to putting someone on the back burner. Sam Houston was being demoted. They really didn't acknowledge him much. He was humiliated at the end of the match. He's on the way out. Blazer is on the way up. The blue blazer is on the way up the card. Gets a lot of shine, nearly pulls off an upset victory. And then DBRC, when he gets the win, he's, Sort of glad he got the win. It's sort of like, oh, I did it. I survived that. And now I move on. And Blazer is allowed to sort of roll out of the ring and not suffer the the jobber to the stars humiliation that normally happens at the end of a DBRC match. So there you have it. Two DBRC matches in two episodes, but very similar matches in ring and yet so different in presentation. And that's what I love about you know, about wrestling. You can have two very similar matches and yet certain elements and aspects of it make it so different that you can see someone in a different way. DBRC made Blazer look good. And it's a shame that WWF never really got behind the Blue Blazer gimmick and got behind him in 1989 because his offense was unique. Um, They were talking him up on commentary. He had a lot to offer. And, you know, with this one match, DBS, he made him look dangerous. We know the Blazer is going to be wrestling at WrestleMania 5. It will be very interesting to see how that match comes across um, on this Cronoso journey. But, yeah, it's a shame that the Blazer was never pushed much beyond that. And uh, he disappears um, pretty much before summers, between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. We'll, we'll, he just goes. He leaves the company um, and, and doesn't return for, for a few years. But there you have it. The Debiase victorious. And, and sadly, the, the commentary team want to move on because we've got a lot more happening on Saturday night's main event. And because we've got a lot more happening on Saturday's main event, it's really important that we move on right now. But don't. Yeah, you know, stay listening all the way to the end because I'm gonna be back. Gonna be back with with um, yeah, you know, a bit of a bit of a review of the build to WrestleMania Five. Keep listening and enjoy the rest of the show.
6: Cardoso listeners, you have made it to probably the best match on the card, surely rockers versus brain Busters. we'll see my name is jennifer smith and i'm here with my tag team partner logan crossland how are you logan uh,
7: i'm doing well tonight and i do think we probably got the best match of the card so but we'll, we'll see it as we check it out uh, as we watch it okay.
6: i was definitely talking out of my ass but sure uh. <laughs>
7: <laughs> Um, I do know that these guys have had, have, and will have bangers on our uh, journey here on the Cardoso, but uh, I'm sure this is one of them uh, without a doubt. So looking forward to watching it.
6: All right. What did we have uh, happen before the match?
7: So both teams get interviewed by Gene. Uh, the Brainbusters are first. Um, Gene says that there is, be- there's going to be some heads knocking when these two teams uh, meet tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh Bobby calls uh, Okerlund Peewee uh, and then says he is tired of hearing about the Rockers and they are going to get rid of them tonight. Uh, he then talks to Tully. Tully says Bobby wanted a team that could bring him the championships, and this right here is the best tag team in the world, and the Rockers are the first stepping stone on their path to making that happen. He then talks to Arn. Arn says they are a well-oiled machine. Bobby is the brains, of course. Tully's the speed, and he himself is the power. Together, they make a unit that can't be stopped, and they will go right through the Rockers. So then he interviews the Rockers, welcomes them to Saturday night's main event, asks them about their Brain Busters. Uh, Sean says they've been waiting for an opportunity on national television in front of the whole world. Uh, Says in the past, the fighting has left the ring. But and and maybe it's gone to the locker room a, a little bit, but tonight they will take care of uh, their, their fight in the ring, they will keep it in the ring, and they will take care of the brain busters once and for all. Marty then says, Both teams are known to be winners, uh, but tonight that one of them has to be the losers. He then says, They are good, they are good when they are good, but they when they are bad. They are better, so uh, he, mm. he's real excited. Uh, I I made that sound much more uh, cromulent than Marty did when he said it. It sounded way worse. Uh, so, but uh, th- those were the two interviews that happened before the match.
6: Logan, who's your favorite rocker, and why is it Marty?
7: <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it's Sean, so I can't I can't say I can't say it's Marty. Unfortunately,
6: well, I do like down. Marty,
7: but uh, Sean mm-hmm. is my Sean's my guy. So
6: yeah, true. All right, so our gimmick here is we're going to live watch this match. So we are queued up at 49 minutes into this episode, and we're going to hit play in three, two, one, play. I love live watching these. I don't know. I think it adds something to it.
7: Yeah, we're missing that. Yeah. Doo-tree, doo-tree, doo-tree. <laughs> the rock well, speed. you added it. There
6: you go. There you go.
7: <laughs> What do you think of their outfits tonight? The I love yellow. their
6: outfits. Uh, that is quite the choice. Mm-hmm. But they're rock and rollers, so it fits, right? They're supposed to be a little wacky.
7: Exactly. Oh, is Tully, Tully already going for the slingshot suplex? Shit. That was his finisher in NWA, so already going for the kill shot. Not swear oh, kill shot.
6: Daddy Arn, kill Arn looking shot. very daddy
7: Oh, yeah. This, I feel like this is the one run where he looks younger. Uh, he still looks 60, mm-hmm. but he right, looks, uh, <laughs> a, a younger 60, of course,
6: <laughs> early 60s are yeah. <laughs> when he's only like 35 or some shit. Probably, I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know how old he is here.
7: I think he's probably in his early 30s, but mm-hmm. yeah, he looks uh, not a day younger than 50.
6: <laughs> oh, it sure is nice watching him bump though.
7: Mm-hmm. It sure is nice.
6: It sure is. <laughs> I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm.
7: What do you think of the zebra print that the uh, rockers got going it, on their boots? There, I,
6: I'm not a, I'm not a fan normally of a zebra print. Um, it's used well, I will say, because mostly it's just in the little waist and the boots, so it's not overwhelmingly zebra. That's true. And it does look good with the purple.
7: Oh yeah, I I, I do definitely think their their outfits are pretty pretty good tonight. Yeah, they just hit the double switch in music, so there you go.
6: Brainbusters looking very old school in comparison mm-hmm. to the rockers.
7: Yeah, I think that's kind of why these two work so well together. Mm-hmm. The rockers are kind of the new age high flyer mm-hmm. kind of guys, and you know. Tully and Arn are kind of ground and pound, really give Old it to these kind of guys. Yeah,
6: it's a good mixture. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm.
7: And I, I'm, I think in the last few episodes of Cronoso they've uh, a couple people have talked about other matches uh, between these two. So um, mm. definitely listen to those and hear them talk about it, and then come watch this with us. <laughs> but yeah, I mean these 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 four guys are incredible in-ring in-ring mm-hmm. wrestler so um there's a reason they're all kind of remembered as all-time greats
6: and bobby Maybe, heenan rings uh,
7: yeah i was saying heenan only made the uh, brain Busters package even better you could say that they don't need a manager but i think he kind of added added to mm. at the same time
6: he's always getting involved like now sitting mm. Sean <laughs> over the top
7: what do you think of his uh, jacket with all of his uh it. scarabs across his
6: <laughs> scarabs? <laughs> leaves.
7: <laughs> I don't know what they are. They're just little <laughs> gold pieces, so
6: seem like scarabs. <laughs> scarabs. I think they're leaves? Leaves? Leaves. I don't know
7: what they are. The top thing on the back is definitely a leaf. I, and the a thing on his the middle of his back is like a Rolls Royce or something. Yeah, it looks
6: like a fancy
7: car I don't know interesting
6: look very interesting look Mm
7: -hmm. he just got thrown out
6: you can't throw him out come on
7: (laughs) Daniel Bryan is the uh, cameraman in the background if you saw that guy (laughs) I think that's actually uh it it might be edge as well I'm not sure (laughs) I don't think he's not showing enough bone in his face to be edge
6: not gaunt enough Mm
7: -hmm. he sure does look terrible modern day
6: he sure does Mm -hmm. well they send us to a commercial okay now we're back well now I've lost like half the interest because Bobby got thrown out
7: (laughs) that's no good (laughs) I'm sure they'll still work a pretty good match without him it would definitely be better if he was out there uh, bopping around for sure. though
6: oh, Marty got his ass clotheslined off.
7: His ass came off.
6: Mm-hmm. His head, <laughs> his head usually, but then his ass <laughs> as well.
7: He got clotheslined so hard his ass came off. That's uh, <laughs> that's interesting.
6: That's how hard Arn hits.
7: <laughs> he is the power of the team. He did say mm-hmm. that in the uh, mm-hmm. interview beforehand. So.
6: He's the busting part. Green busters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's. A what does that make Tully? Cause, that? <laughs> uh,
7: what does that make Tully? Because uh, Bobby's uh, the brain.
6: Oh. <laughs> uh, uh.
7: Well, they're busters, so they're both. Yeah, busters.
6: they're yeah. both busters. <laughs> Tully's a ball buster. Oh God.
7: No, Tully busts those uh, cocaine rocks up in the back <laughs> and snorts them, is what he does.
1: Ooh, God, nice!
7: What a punch! Oh man, that was a nasty bump to the outside. Sean, how about you just stand in the corner and not complain? Do nothing, your, yeah. Your, your your partner won't get his ass continually hand to him. Or maybe go outside and help him.
6: Man, Arn is so fucking good.
7: He really is. Like, he's the only person that sells as well as I know. That, the, know.
6: What, he, he sells to the fucking back seats. Like, to the mm-hmm.
8: f- roof.
7: Mm-hmm. And he sells such a simple move mm-hmm. that well. Like a mm-hmm. freaking sunset flip. Yep. You know? You know they always say that about Arn uh, looking like forty when he was twenty, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like Tully doesn't get uh, put in that conversation enough either. He is uh, he is definitely middle aged dad here. Yeah, he, he does, despite being probably like thirty two years old.
6: <laughs> People just looked older then. Yeah, I don't know. Like, how older. old is Sean here?
7: Um. He's probably either late 20s or early, or early 30s, too. Really?
6: Okay. Yeah. So he looks.
7: I think he was born in like the 50s, so. Late 50s, maybe. I don't know. Let's see. It's usually my gimmick on all my other shows. So I'm mm-hmm. There well you go. Do it here.
6: Sean <laughs> <laughs> Michaels. Marty getting worked over.
4: He's Marty's get...
6: real good at selling too So it's like It's, it's like who could sell the most <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> guys.
7: So I was wrong uh, Sean was born in 65 So uh, That would make him 24
6: Okay I right? was gonna say Like 25-ish
7: Yeah so he's like 24 here yeah, I was making him older than he was. Yeah, you
6: were.
1: Oh,
7: what a be- what a what a bastard I am.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: <laughs> Janetti is five years older, so he's already almost thirty.
6: Oh man, <laughs> oh, oh, Sean. man. oh this match has <laughs> been nonstop, you guys. It has been. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, they, Very they good. go and add it uh the entire the entirety of however long we've been watching this match so far. Except for the commercial break, of course. Mm-hmm.
6: But... All right, they want to argue with the ref for a hot minute there. Catch them. For <laughs> us.
7: So Tully's actually thirty five here, so he actually probably is. It's probably kind of he Definitely looks older.
6: Agent.
7: Yeah, he does look older for sure, but I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought that he was that old either.
1: Oh.
7: oh, God. And Arn is 31. So definitely, okay. definitely at wow. least 20 years older than that. Yeah. I don't believe that. <laughs>
6: <laughs> oh, that's, God. That's nuts.
7: <laughs> it's like John Tenta. John Tenta, when he first uh, started, yeah, right. like, whatever you want to call him, he was like 23 when he first started wrestling and he looked like at least 40.
1: It's
7: <laughs> what male pattern baldness will do to you. Yep. I don't know this referee. That's referee in this match. Usually he's he's
6: been working hard.
7: He sure has.
6: I like this view. They kind of did like a mm-hmm. crowd view. Yes,
7: yeah, like uh, drones like flying yeah, over the crowd. Yeah, it does look bit. like a drone, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> did we get a DQ or a on or if something? What
6: happens? Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
7: The match just kind of stopped happening. Okay, well, I guess we either—I guess we got a double count out because they were—they uh, were both outside the ring for a good bit there. Uh.
6: <laughs> um, are you Definitely, sure? <laughs>
7: I, they go to an interview after it, so I'm guessing the match is. Over.
6: <laughs> we were like, "Look at that camera view." Meanwhile, the match is over, we didn't even know. Oh. So um, oh my, God. <laughs> my review of that match is uh I wish there was more of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I guess a double count out is fine. I, I don't know. Um,
7: <laughs> yeah, it ended in a double count out. I'm looking at the results now. Okay. So um yeah, well they were fighting on the outside. But yeah, that went about ten minutes was a really good way. Well, th- this isn't that one the last match, but um yeah. Basically, the last match that you really even care about. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really good. I th- would have liked yeah. to finish but I understand, yeah, you me keep, too. Both, <laughs> both, keep, both teams strong, so
6: um, yeah, um, I don't know, I that really <laughs> threw me off, but
7: it happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right,
6: what do you got to promote, Logan?
7: Um, Here on North-South Connection, we've got uh, linking up Lucha's, uh, talking about Lucha Underground. We just recorded an episode last night as of this recording, um, and we have a ton of fun with that. Um, We're almost uh, getting towards the finishing stretch of the season, so looking forward to see how season one might come to a close. Um, And then I've been on Ruthlessly Aggressive with Jake for the last uh, three or four episodes, so... We're going through 2003, Kane just recently unmasked. That's been the big thing that's happened uh, lately. So just check those out.
6: All right. And uh, also on the Jenny position, we'll have a new episode of Talking Docs very soon and hopefully uh, Exposition as well. So stay tuned uh, to Know So to our YouTube channel and all of our social media. And. subscribe if you have not. Thanks Logan.
7: Thanks Ginny.
8: What's going on North-South Connection? Mike Eller here to give you the main event of Saturday night's main event from March 11th, 1989. There is nothing obviously the whole Hogan, Savage stuff, Elizabeth stuff compared to the Red Rooster versus the Brooklyn Brawler. I mean what are we even talking about? This is why this is why we're wrestling fans isn't it? Well, maybe, maybe not. But anyhow, we <laughs> uh, this isn't a very long match, so I am going to give a little bit of a breakdown of how we got to this Rooster and Brawler match. Uh, we're going back a couple months to Tampa where the Red Rooster finally gets sick of Bobby Heenan as his manager. Uh, he's had absolutely enough, and he attacks him. Uh, didn't get the biggest... Outcry uh, seemed like the crowd was kind of into it, though. Um, we then move forward to TV. Gorilla Monsoon is he's shown trying to moderate a sit down with the Red Rooster and Bobby Heenan. They shake hands, and you know, we get this huge moment uh, kind of sure, uh, but then Bobby actually slaps the Red Rooster, uh, so he kind of you know, he was being a weasel. Uh, this gets us to where the Brooklyn brawler shows up uh, actually kind of violent because he uh, he has like a stool chair which he hits gorilla monsoon in the back with and you know takes him out and then from there uh, Brawler starts attacking the red rooster uh, and we're done there <clears throat> we're back to uh, we're bat we're not doing anything back in time now right now we're back to Saturday night's main event Uh, Jesse Ventura took a small breather from his commentary duties to interview the brawler, uh, noting that it was clear, you know, Jesse plays it up. He's a heel. He's great here. Uh, Not much of this, if any of it, is actually great. But uh, Jesse kind of eggs on Bobby, and he's like, yeah, you were provoked. I I understand why you turned on him. You were provoked. And then uh, he moves along and asks the Brooklyn brawler, uh, why he's taking on the Rooster before the match. Uh, Heenan with an awesome line here. He cu- he answers for the Brooklyn Brawler, and, and he answers that the Red Rooster is a nobody. <laughs> the Brooklyn Brawler is a bigger nobody than the Rooster could ever be. A bigger, better nobody. Uh, Brawler didn't seem to love this very much, but he didn't get mad. It just was hilarious. He's just like, yeah, both these guys are losers, but my loser slightly less of a loser than you. <laughs> and then uh, Heenan also looks at the brawler and notes like, you better not, basically, you better not embarrass me. Uh, then we get, uh, we go to the babyface side. I guess, you know, the Red Rooster is a babyface if you're cheering for him. Uh, me, Gene's interviewing him. Gene asks, why wrestle someone before his match? Uh, this is, of course, uh, the Red Rooster and Bobby Heenan will be wrestling in a couple weeks at WrestleMania. Uh, Rooster... Uh, answers that he does mention that the Brawler is a nobody. And uh, the the Rooster is not nobody, though. Because the roost, he lets us know that the Rooster is somebody. Um, <clears throat> he actually repeats this again. And then he notes, uh, in case we didn't know, with his haircut and the way he walks to the ring and his theme song, he tells us he's the Red Rooster. And then uh, Rooster also makes sure to let us know that he was blindsided with that chair by the Brawler. But in the ring, he has no blindsides. So uh, we get we get to the match finally. Uh, the mega powers of the Brooklyn Brawler and the Red Rooster. Uh, they're colliding. They're exploding. Uh, we, so Brawler's already in the ring with Heenan. Then we get the Rooster coming out to his music. Uh, to go over the match, they lock up. Brawler gets in some slaps. Gets Rooster in a headlock. Um tries to throw Rooster into the ropes. Rooster's able to stop, um, takes the advantage and he hits some punches. Uh, he hits a drop kick. He gets a hip toss. Then, uh, he throws him in the ropes and catches the Brooklyn Brawler in a small package and the Red Rooster gets the three count and he is your winner. Uh, this gets Heenan all fired up and Heenan teases getting into the ring, but then, uh, while Rooster is got all his attention focused by um, on Bobby Heenan, he gets attacked again by the Brooklyn Brawler from behind. This is after literally two minutes ago that in the ring, the Red Rooster notes he has no blind sides, but yet he didn't see uh, the Brooklyn Brawler attack him again. So he's a hypocrite and a liar, isn't he? <laughs> so anyhow... That's the end of the match. Um, they continue to attack Rooster, uh, Heenan, and the Brooklyn Brawler. However, uh, the Rooster is able to overcome this, and he does, you know, get the better of the Brooklyn Brawler before Heenan. Before he can get touched, he escapes the ring. Uh, we conclude with Vince McMahon noting what a Rooster he is, and. That is the ref- That is the conclusion of the Brooklyn Brawler and the Red Rooster. We are obviously going to get a little bit more of these guys uh, as we go along in this Cronoso. But again, I'm Mike Eller. Uh, you can find me on the Cronoso Monthly. I also pop up with uh, on the YouTube side of things on Cronoso uh, when Ryan invites me to take part in previews. Uh, so with that being said, enjoy the rest of the show and we'll talk to you in a bit.
9: So this is Jake uh, coming at you <laughs> live from the boot in Louisiana. Um, anyway, so I'm going to be covering uh, Ronnie Garvin versus Mr. Perfect from Mar- the March 18th, 1989 house show at the Boston Garden, as I'm sure um, my cohorts are going to tell you about. So this is a I actually looked this up. There's five shows WWF ran on this night, which is absolutely preposterous. But um, the two biggest ones would be MSG in Boston, in the Boston Garden, which um, I believe MSG was like a matinee or something. So, it's always interesting when you have these. But the the reason I say that up top is because these guys um, wrestled on both shows. And I think you can tell um, based on this match. I, I'd have to go and watch the MSG one to see how that one goes. But anyway, I think you could tell this, this definitely has the feeling of a we just wrestled uh, – twice in a row on this day and we are exhausted. So I'll put it that way. And they went about 12 to 15 minutes on each. So, you know, some matches with some decent length, but so, um, we start off, we get some, some heavy strikes as you would expect this kind of Garvin specialty. And what I love about Ronnie Garvin. So the, the whole beginning of this match is a lot of Garvin and some, some tough strikes, uh, and then perfect takes a powder on the outside. So that's about your first five minutes of the match, I would say. Um, you know, so typical house show kind of stuff you get some good chops back and forth between these two but you know not the most exciting because you have so much stalling on the outside and then we sort of go into an exchange of wrestles here a lot of headlocks um, from both guys mostly perfect working the headlock on on ronnie um, who has just the strangest buzz cut skunk mullet thing that you'll ever see bleach blonde he's got the like um leprechaun green tights just Odd luck on Ronnie Garvin. You know, I love Ronnie Garvin, but um anyway. So uh, Garvin finally reverses the uh, headlock into an arm lock. He works that for a while. Back to the headlock again. Um, so fine back to some strikes. So we finally get some actual like spot exchanges here. Like we get a sunset flip, perfect goes for a sunset flip, uh, Garvin gets a near fall off of like an elbow drop. So things are picking up again, but then we go right back to the sleeper. So we get a very long sleeper. Um on this one. Uh Garvin then comes back, knocks Perfect down. He does these like really odd, stiff, but not stiff like in the wrestling term of like like tough or real, more just like the way his movement is very wooden. He like stomps his foot down, straight down, but he doesn't do the little stomp thing to make the noise, so it's just real odd looking. Anyway, so it's, you know, we, we get into the final stretch. Uh, Perfect has Garvin on the ropes at this point, and then uh, Garvin comes back. Uh, he hits a crossbody, but then Perfect ends up doing the classic uh, crossbody roll-up spot to steal it in a heelish way, which was a big part of this match. You're, you're seeing the heel tendencies from Perfect throughout this one. He doesn't he doesn't have the singlet yet, but you could see he's moving into Mr. Perfect mode. But uh yeah, the only thing about this match is it's like too slow to really be all that entertaining because there's just way too much downtime between the bigger spots, and I think part of it. I'm totally fine with that to kind of build the momentum and tension in the match. But to me, this felt, like I said, much more like two guys that were just fucking tired and did not feel like going ball so well in this one and knew they had to go about 15 minutes. So, you know, they, and I don't blame them, you know, they, they went for the headlocks and stuff, but you know, these guys, it was, it was rough at the time. Like these guys were doing insane amount of dates. Um, the travel is insane, and, and God knows what substances are flowing through their veins at this point. Uh, so that probably affect them as well. But they definitely seem a bit tired. I think both these guys are capable of much better as the match goes. I'd probably give it a, a gentleman's two, which I would say is even generous for the time because it's a pretty it's a pretty boring match. But um, yeah, it will be it will be interesting to see um, on this Cronoso as we're covering shows from both the MSG and this Boston Garden show, if we notice any, you know, if you can notice on this later show, like, what is the difference between the two shows, I would say, because there's, there's something that's always fascinated me is, you know, them running, you know, multiple shows per day and guys working multiple shots in one day. It's just a wild, wild prospect to me. But anyway, so if you like these guys, you might like it for the novelty, but I cannot tell, I'd recommend to watch this match because it's just a little bit boring. So, Anyway, if you want to catch me every other uh, Tuesday, I'm doing the North. Uh, I'm not doing the North South Connection. I'm doing the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast on the North South Connection where you're listening to Kronosso. So if you enjoy hearing my voice, you can hear me talk about um, early to mid 2000s WWE, Raw, SmackDown, and every pay per view. So thanks for listening. See you next time.
10: Hey, everybody. Kelly Nelson here. Happy New Year from the great white North. And I'm here to talk about the first match of this Madison Square Garden show from March 18th, 1989. And it's a doozy. The Conquistadors versus the Young Stallions. And I'm not sure if we would have, uh, Marty Sleaze and I would have talked about this match on our our old podcast tag teams back again. I like to think we would have because uh, if nothing else, the Conquistadors mix two of my favorite things, and that's old-fashioned masked wrestlers and jobbers. Uh, But to be fair, they were more uh, like jobbers to the stars than outright jobbers. The Conquistadors are introduced by Finkel as from parts unknown, which, uh, you know, maybe I'll just take a wild guess and, and say they were from Spain. You know? I don't know. Anyway, not much of a reaction for the Young Stallions despite having kick-ass entrance music, which was Crank It Up by Jimmy Hart from uh, Pile Driver, the wrestling album, too. And and they used that beginning in 1987 when the album came out. There was some angle. I think it was meant to be for the Hart Foundation, which Jimmy Hart managed, and somehow the Young Stallions were able to snag it, uh, snag the rights. I, I can't remember exactly the particulars. Anyway, on commentary, we have Tony Schiavone and Lord Alfred Hayes. And this was Tony's first MSG show as commentator. It may have even been his first uh, night in the WWF after coming over from WCW. Not 100% sure about that, but it's right at the beginning of Tony's run here as a um, play-by-play guy. And he was actually really good. I mean, he was always good in WCW, except for, you know, the, the dark end uh, of WCW in the late 90s. But here in the WWF, he would he fit right in, I thought, and, and always did a really good job. So back to the teams here, we have the Conquistadors who were, of course, under those masks, Jose Luis Rivera and Jose Estrada, two longtime uh, enhancement talents, Jarvis to the Stars, in New York, in the WWF. And yeah, these teams uh, probably worked against each other a lot. And I checked, yes, they did, uh, as early as December 1987, about a month after the Conquistadors started as a team. Uh, the Young Stallions started just after WrestleMania three, I believe, teaming regularly. And then it wasn't until about August or September that they got the name, the Young Stallions, finally, and had a bit of a push, beat the Hart Foundation when the Hart Foundation were tag champs in a non-title match on TV. And, you know, it kind of looked like they were going somewhere. But uh, that, of course, didn't happen. A big part of the problem was they just weren't that likable. Paul Roma was definitely made to be a heel. He just has that, you know, an unlikable face. And he would, of course, find success or at least, you know success uh, from a quality standpoint with uh, Hercules in 1990-1991 as, as power and glory, a heel tag team. Jim Powers, you know, for me, was basically like an updated Rick McGraw, who was at JTTS with the WWF in the early 80s, you know, just not big enough, had an okay body, but was was short, and he's just really boring AF. This match uh, reminded me just how boring he he uh, truly was. And this match as a whole is boring AF, <laughs> at the start anyway. And the crowd agrees. Uh, we get a loud boring chant at one point. There's not much going on here. You know, you would never hear boring chants for the Rockers, or for the Heart Foundation, for the Killer Bees. You know, at every other, basically every other babyface tag team from the last you know, four or five years, but the stallions, you know, they just didn't have much going for them. Powers in particular just loved to work the arm in this match. There just wasn't any pizzazz here. Back to the Conquistadors. Watching this match got me thinking, you know, they wear the full bodysuit, full gold bodysuit, and it you know, I was just wondering like how hot was that? It must have been hot having to wrestle in that full bodysuit, no skin exposed under the bright lights. Their look was basically, um, basically they were the heirs to the Golden Terror look, if uh, anyone listening knows who that was. Uh, The Golden Terror was actually many different men over the years. Uh, My favorite, or the one I know the most, is the one from the late 70s in the WWF, And he was played by Pete Doherty, the Duke of Dorchester, and he was the Golden Terror managed by Lou Albano. But I think the gimmick went way back to like maybe even the 30s, maybe even earlier in various different territories. Uh, there was a Golden Terror in the, in Crockett in the mid 80s. And I think it's almost like a nod um, to the original Mass Marvel from 1916 and the famous uh, tournament in New York where, uh, you know, being the Mass Marvel caused this. You know, sensation in the city with uh, people wondering who he was under the mask, and I think well that started the mask or the masked uh, gimmick in in the United States, and and the Golden Terror sort of descended from that original Mass Marvel gimmick from 1916. Anyway, back to the match, the crowd does come alive a bit uh, once Roma gets in there playing Face in Peril, and uh, we get at one point a very unheel like flying body press by one of the Conquistadors for a near fall on Roma, which I thought was funny. Um, Usually you don't see heels do flashy moves, especially back then. Um, Yeah, not today, that's for sure. But back then, you would never see heels, or very rarely would you ever see heels do, yeah, flying body presses, leapfrogs, sunset flips, stuff like that that popped the crowd. So we got a hot tag to Powers, which was uh, medium hot at best and a house of fire, which wasn't bad, but, but the clothesline that he delivered at one point looked uh, weak as hell. And then we get a huge missile dropkick by Roma. He got really good height on this. Uh, that hits uh, one of the conquistadors and we get the win. The match went about 13 minutes, I believe uh, the first half, like I said, was pretty slow paced, pretty boring. We got boring chance. 75% of the match basically was dull. The last 25% last quarter was not bad. But uh this was very much a very typical MSG opening match that, you know, I've seen some horrible ones over the years. Tons of 20 minute draws, tons of matches fe- featuring boring chance. Tons of matches featuring wrestlers that nobody cared about. Uh, this was only slightly better than, than some of those ones. Anyway, just as I finish up here, I wanted I took a look into the records of the two teams. Because I, I was thinking as I was watching this match, you know, it's March 1989. I was thinking these guys, uh, neither the Konkishkadors or the Young Stallions, I don't think they they teamed much. After this, like I don't, I recall them more as a team from like 1987, 1988 and not so much in 1989. And sure enough, I looked up first the Stallions and they had not teamed much at all since Survivor Series 1988, actually. Um, And they would only team up a few more times. I think maybe three, four times total before finally splitting up in the summer of 1989. And there was no angle or anything with the split, they just stopped teaming with each other. They didn't, they both stayed in the WWF. Um, Roma, of course, went back to singles and would even team with uh, other job guys on TV, but not Jim Powers. And then in 1990, he would get a break and a he return heel, like I mentioned earlier. Jim Powers would stick around too, doing sort of the same thing, but he never got a break. He just stayed as a, as a job guy, basically, Um, for a few more years, I think. And then the Conquistadors, my beloved mass tag team, this was their penultimate match together, in fact, in the WWF anyway. The very next night in Hartford, Connecticut, against this same team, the Young Stallions, that would be the last match for the Conquistadors in the WWF. Uh, Of course, uh, Edge and Christian played the Conquistadors, least once in the late 90s but yeah this this was it for Estrada and and Rivera as the conquistadors in the WWF but yeah and according to wrestling data and I don't know if this is 100% accurate this team of Estrada and Rivera as the conquistadors did wrestle February or no sorry April 26th 1991 in North Massapequa New York for the ill-fated UWF, the Herb Abrams UWF, um, and they wrestled Larry and David Power, who should have been known as Curb Your Enthusiasm. And so I'm not sure 100%. It seems weird that they would only have one match, you know, two years later after last teaming as the Conquistadors. But maybe they did. Maybe they had more in those those results just aren't out there. Wrestling data is definitely not perfect. Um, it could have been others, two other wrestlers using the Conquistador gimmick. That, I believe, would uh, happen in the future on indie shows and stuff. But anyway, yeah, so we're seeing the end of an era here, the end of both the Young Stallions and the Conquistadors, basically. Playing out the string in the opening match in Madison Square Garden, and delivering like a at best two-star match. Oh well. So that's it for me. Check out t- Touchdowns to Turnbuckles with myself and Ryan Gray. Got a couple more episodes left and then we're done with that. I'm always on Mystery Titans Theater almost, well, almost always on Mystery Titans Theater. Check that out on YouTube or on Twitch. And yeah, I'll see you guys later.
11: so, I am Ryan Everett and I am here once again as I promised I would be, with more Big Boss Man versus Hulk Hogan from Madison Square Garden. This time it is March 18th, 1989. It is a matinee showing, and 20,000 people sell out at Madison Square Garden. And this match is actually early in the show. The third, fourth match in, about 50 minutes in, the... Bossman promo hits, and then we go right to the Bossman and Slick making their way out, followed by Hogan. And the reason it was early, at least one of the reasons, at least, was that this was, like I said, this was the matinee afternoon show because then that night they had a show in the Boston Garden, and in that one, it's again Hulk Hogan versus Big Bossman Steel Cage, probably very similar match as these. When they did the two shows back in the day, that's kind of how it would go. But it is the main event there. And kind of, they have, you know, both shows, same matches up and down the line. Just different order for some of them. Uh, here in the Madison Square Garden show, the Jim Duggan and Bushwhackers versus Dino Bravo in the front, Fabolous Rougeau Brothers is the main event, but... There in Boston Garden. That is the Hulk Hogan-Bossman match. But this starts nice and hot. You know, both of these... The feud has been building really almost five months now. Six months, end of October. So a lot of heat in this one. And it's this is its third time at Madison Square Garden. They did it in November, January, and March. Because the thing that's crazy about the at this time is, you know, this was the one tour. Then the other tour was uh, like they were in Chicago or Columbus and Cincinnati that same day with a matinee and nighttime show. And the main event for those are Randy Savage versus the Ultimate Warrior, Demolition versus Powers of Pain. So they had some high, high octane matches here on both shows. But so again, early match. Third match, fourth match on the card, classic blue bar cage. Hulk climbs over and into the ring. Immediately talks to Boss Man, choking him out with his shirt, clothesline, punches. He's really giving it to him. Gives him a big boot, a suplex, and then he starts to climb out right away. But Boss Man is able to stop him, and they fight on top. Hulk punches the Boss Man. But the boss man is able to push him off the top rope to the floor. And Boss Man then is uh comes back in and starts punching on Hogan a little bit, beating him down. And again, they both climb the cage. Hulk boss man fights him off again, and then Hulk starts or boss man starts to climb over with Hulk on the mat. And Boss Man, by the time he gets oh he gets over, he gets even with the top of the ring. And Hogan catches him and is able to drag him up through the bars, back up to the top of the cage, and then hits a superplex off the top. So both men are down. And Bossman has, at the time, just a little cut above his eye, but it becomes quite the... uh... It looks like it was a nasty knot on top of his forehead, actually. Hogan crawls toward the door, but... Bossman is able to hold on and drag him back in. Hogan bites the bossman, and then he tries a clothesline in him, but bossman ducks and hits a spine buster. Not a full bossman slam, but the spine buster. And then uh, bossman gets a nice headbutt, and Slick hands the bossman his handcuffs, and bossman chokes out Hogan with the chain. He goes to hit Hogan with the cuffs, but Hogan blocks. And runs Bossman in the cage a few times. Uh Holgan climbs, but the Bossman pulls him down. Holgan goes to the eyes and then slams the Bossman. And then Holgan grabs the handcuffs and hits the Bossman with the handcuffs a few times. And this really, by the end of this, Bossman is totally wearing the crimson mask. Covered in blood. Much more than you get from typical 1989 WWF. But Holgan gets the cuffs, hits him a few times more with them, then adds the leg drop, and then Slick runs in and grabs Hulk's leg. Holgan kicks him away. And Holgan crouches the boss man and then grabs the handcuffs and locks him to the cage. And then so Hulgan goes to the other side and starts climbing up, climbs up and over. And as he's doing this, Slick is trying to uncuff the boss man to get him. To let him get out of the ring, but Hulk hits the floor just as Bossman is uncuffed, and he kind of falls to the floor. But Hogan is the winner. Hulk wins, and then he also grabs a face and grabs a chair and blasts Bossman in the face with it. And then, of course, since it's Hulk Hogan, he's gonna attack Sluck in the cage and throw him into the cage a few times. But yeah, this is a really good match. Kind of a, kind of a well-known house show match. It was on. Um, let me see here. Hulkamania Four, best of Hulkamania, and the best of the WWF Steel Cage matches. So it got quite a little bit of play. And yeah, good good match. I'd say three and a half, probably the best of the hulgan bossman matches that i've seen so far but they've all been really good and this also especially here you know there's some laying around after the superplex but that's to be expected but nothing too much no bear hugs no headlocks that could slow things down here this is all both of these matches they've had have been go 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 action action which is nice to see and you know, especially with the guy Bossman says you'd expect some slowdown, but not here. This is quite the frantic pace they work. And to think that they do two of these in a day is kind of nuts. I'm sure the boss man got re his cut had to get reopened in the later match in Boston. But yeah, that's it for now. Good match. Um yeah. And you could find me on Place to Be Nation Wrestling with, with this ring. And with Cronoso, we're next time we'll be heading to Atlantic City. I'll see you there. Bye. Cronoso, we are
0: here for the final block of Cronoso before we head right into WrestleMania 5. And there's no better guy here to talk about the Mega Powers fully exploding other than you, Dave Hall. What's going on, buddy?
5: Oh mate, I'm excited. It's been a long, long journey. Uh, the the Cronoso mega powers build has gone on. For a long time and uh, I'm excited to uh almost conclusion as we build towards WrestleMania.
0: For sure. Now, Dave, you and I, right before SummerSlam Crosso, Summerslam 88 cronoso did a chapter one of the of the mega powers. And now we are here to do the final chapter. I know mm-hmm. Steve Bennett, the motto, Hollywood Dave Rollins, myself, you, I believe Riddle, Jenny, Logan, a few others have you know touched upon the mega powers but we are here today to kind of skim coat all of their discussion and then bring in the final meet- interviews heading into the WrestleMania 5.
5: Yeah. No, it's it's good. It's it's really good for me. I'm really excited to be a part of this segment because I actually had the privilege of covering the Randy Savage versus Honky Tonk Man match and Saturday night's main event where the Mega Powers started so I, it's sort of for me it's almost a full conclusion i i i get to do the beginning and now i get to sort of wrap it all all up as we lead up to the to the to the blow-off so it's, it's a really good opportunity
0: for sure and like you said that started in what, what was that late 1987 where the honky-tonk man mm. was facing randy savage for the intercontinental championship and this is the bret hart infamous guitar shot correct
5: it's it's um yeah it's the it's the guitar shot over the head honky honky levels in with the guitar shot and liz runs to the back and comes out dragging hogan and hogan has that sort of what's going on what's going on look and then he sees the ring and and all it's all determination in he goes and helps clear the ring and then him he, he and savage do for the first time the the handshake the, the handshake comes in and, and the mega powers were born and it was a it was a great moment it really was it was a really good very unique moment and I think at the time it really solidified Savage Savage's full face turn and it launched him to a new level of um of standing in the company he was he was portrayed as an equal to Hogan and not just as another guy in the intercontinental title division. So it was, it was a big moment. And of course, Savage
0: would go on to win the WWF championship at WrestleMania four in the WrestleMania tournament. And Hogan was there by his side to help make sure Andre and Virgil did not get in the way. And it was a fair fight between him and the million dollar man in the tournament finals.
5: Definitely a fair fight. It is always a fair fight when you can level someone out with a chair when you're Hulk Hogan, (laughs) that's for sure. And, and, yeah it really it was it was a way of it was it was portrayed as a passing of the torch moment. Savage was now in that upper echelon, really cemented in, carrying the title Hogan by his side. but there was always an element where you had that question mark: could Savage have won the title without the help of Hulk? Uh, Savage yeah, was in the million-dollar dream when it happened, when, he got, when DBS he got hit by the chair. So, you know, you could argue, and you can look at the storyline that was put together. Without Hogan, Savage mm. never becomes the champ.
0: Which is the great introduction to the crux of this storyline, of course. And then after WrestleMania 4, Hogan would go away, and Savage would see, receive countless beatings and attacks from, mm. from Virgil. DiBiase and Andre leading into what we did as chapter one of the mega powers coming together mm. and what kind of went on there. So pretty much Savage was getting blindside and getting one-upped and trying to get weakened and so on and so forth by Andre and DiBiase and Virgil.
5: Yeah. yeah. And that was, and it was the announcement that Hogan was back that I found a partner and he's the best partner you he could ever have. And, and it comes across at that time period, the, the respect that's there between them, Hogan and Savage. Savage sort of bringing in his his brother, basically the man that he trusts to fight Dibiase uh, and Andre. And and that I think that the build to SummerSlam is highlighted by it. Really, is the peak of their trust. They are they are a team fully united with one mission, one plan, one direction, and nothing's going to get in their way.
0: Maybe Elizabeth, but we'll see about that.
5: Um, <laughs> well, she's not in there, she's not in their way at SummerSlam. She's at the forefront of their plan.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then we get the main event of the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. And I believe the myself, Hollywood, and Steve Bennett went over that here on the YouTube channel. I'll throw it in the comments. Well, what did you kind of take coming out of that? You know, inaugural SummerSlam. It was Madison Square Garden. It was a massive event. Jesse was the uh, special guest referee.
5: I I know, and and you guys covered it brilliantly back then. And if if you mm-hmm. didn't catch that that clip, go back and watch it. Um, really encourage everyone. Uh, I think the key, one of the keys on that is is firstly the the teamwork that Hogan and Savage showed. and I always love that end segment where Jesse doesn't want to count the pin and Savage forces the hand down. but – Interesting to note it's Hogan who has to take the win, who gets the win. Hogan scores the pinfall, uh, not Savage, not the champ. I just not something to something to think about. We'll maybe we'll, 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 we'll get back to that. And then, I, I mean, we, 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 we've all covered it, but yeah, in the celebration, you have that moment. I think where the dissension starts, um, you like that, you like that, Hogan. Hogan helps balance Liz on on Savage's shoulder with a with a interestingly placed hand. Just balancing her, making sure she doesn't fall over, and uh, but the hand is a little too close to her tushy, I think, for Savage's liking.
0: And this little fraction would slowly start the crack. You know, it's. Mm. It it's you got that concrete in your driveway and you notice it just slowly increasing, increasing, increasing. Mm. Not enough to kind of get your hands in there and maybe figure, fit it in there. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I've heard stuff said that um, it it wasn't an intentional part of the storyline, but it was something that they were able to use to their benefit. I've heard Bruce Pritchard say that really Hogan was just trying to balance it. That, that's what he was doing. But the way the camera angle picked it up, it was something they were able to use and benefit from because they lucked into this situation, which is really what it's about. It's about misperception. It's about misreading. Or is it the misreading of someone's intentions? And that's what this whole storyline really is about in the end.
0: The words out of my mouth as we get there. All right. This will bring us to the Survivor Series main event. The last moment Hogan gets the win, celebrates with Liz while savages are coming from the beating. Uh, mm. And the next kind of line of, oh, they're celebrating as I'm over here t- taking my beating, and it's metaphorically they're up celebrating and I'm here down on the ground. They're stealing the shine, mm. but I'm the champ. A lot of the, yeah. a, a, a really an explanation point on the jealousy really sinking in for the Macho Man.
5: Absolutely, I think what really always stood out to me in that little progression is that. You see Liz tending to, to 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 Savage. She's there. He's he's taking the beating. He's lying in the corner, and Liz is sort of hand on his shoulder. Are you okay? Are you okay? And and she's going over to say to Hulk, come and come and check on him. Come and be with your partner. And and as she touches Hulk, he just turns around and picks her up in the big hug, and and is celebrating. And and right in front of right in front of Randy, he he caught every minute of that. Um. And, and another interesting thing to note in the build-up to the Survivor Series, which, which we didn't touch on and really didn't get picked up on, but in between SummerSlam and Survivor Series, Hogan starts bringing Liz out on his own matches as his manager. Like, all of a sudden, Hogan has a manager. Never needed one in, in his entire career, but, but Liz is no longer just Randy's manager. She's the manager of the Mega Power's But now she's Hogan's manager. And I think that ties into the Survivor Series build. And that main event is Hogan is celebrating with his manager as opposed to Randy's Uh, manager.
0: Not their manager. Gotcha. Perfect. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's why we're going through it, buddy. You know, we're we're, we're (laughs) not leaving any cracks open. We're kind of skimming over everything. Uh, And, of course, the 1989 Royal Rumble, Hulk Hogan would eliminate the Macho Man, Randy Savage. What do you think of that?
5: Oh, I, I think it's a great moment. We we talked about great it during the, during the Rumble presentation, but a- again, it comes across Hogan looks like he's trying to eliminate bad news, and Savage seems to be caught up his collateral damage. Or was he trying to eliminate both? It's every man for himself. We know that Hogan is a big proponent of every man for himself when it suits him. Uh, we see that multiple times in the future
0: we'll see buddy and then the brother love show with the twin towers in slick
5: yeah this is the brother love segment i covered a couple of episodes ago where hogan comes out with i love elizabeth like a sister and yeah you know, but, but but i know that randy loves her in in a, in a bigger way but this is the interview where it's clear something's changed. Randy Savage is not responding to Hogan the way he always had. He's not the, you don't get the big nods and the big affirmations and the and the brother fellowship that was always there in the previous interviews that we saw. There there's a clear change and uh, it, it, you just get that impression Savage doesn't like the idea that Hogan has said that he loves Elizabeth. It's almost like you hear what you want to hear. He heard I think he heard he loves Elizabeth. Uh, as opposed to like a sister.
0: it's We'll get to it at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In between then, Steve Bennett and I went over the Saturday night's main event mm. where it was Hulk versus Akeem, Elizabeth only to the ring. Akeem had Bossman and Slick, but the Macho Man in the broom cover, closet with me, Gene, and all that <laughs> frantic nonsense right there. Yeah. But uh, that was a really a slow acceleration point too where we said – he could do it by himself and then he went out mm-hmm. when he absolutely needed him.
5: Yes, right. That's right. He 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 was he was there, but he is he trusting Hogan or is he waiting and for Hogan to copy beatings?
0: Yeah. Is he is he trying to make Hogan realize that they're equal in his own mind, mm-hmm. mind you? He's trying to make Hogan realize that they're equal and he really needs mm-hmm. them. Or is he trying to soften them because he knows where this is heading? That's kind of mm. the gray area that you get. Yeah. And then you, you, you have the full blow off. or Slick slicking the Twin Towers versus the Mega Powers at the main event. Criscolo and Bennett covered that one, too. But now we mm. are here at the final home stretch, the final four to five weeks here. The interviews leading in, Dave. What's mm. going on with those?
5: So we, on Superstars, basically the week after the breakup of Hogan and Savage, the week after the main event, we, we start to get a series of pre-recorded interviews each week on Superstars for about five weeks. And the first week of the interviews, it really is both Hogan and Savage justifying their position coming out of the main event. Uh, Hogan sort of saying, I was caring for Liz. Um, I was never, yeah. You know, I was never jealous of you. I wasn't gunning for you, and and Savage reiterating the points he was making at the end of that main event segment, where you know you, you were coming, you you were always jealous of me. You 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 didn't come at me man to man. If you come at me man to man, I would be beat you. So he he reiterates that that sentiment that. You know, you've been trying to undermine me, and undercut me. You didn't come at me, man, man. You've, you've, you know, you've, you've been trying to take this away from me, and, and, and he highlights that. And then each week, it, it, it builds upon it. So it's almost like they respond to each other. So Hogan, then the following week is coming out. No, I wasn't, I wasn't coming for you. I was never coming for you. I was never after Liz, and Savage doubling down you you were the jealous eyes you know we just go all we have to do is go back to SummerSlam we just have to go back to Survivor Series and we start to get the flashback moments you know we just have to go back to these these events where you were you were embracing Liz you were trying to take her away from me and yeah for the first two three weeks that's the premise Hogan justifying himself, I wasn't after you, You're, you've misunderstood the situation and Savage doubling down, tripling down, you were coming for me, you were trying to take everything that I had, you were taking, you were coming for my title, you were coming from my woman, you were coming from my livelihood and I'm going to make you pay and then in the last couple of weeks and each week Savage seems to get more manic in his interview approach he's getting more ramped up as as only Randy Savage can do that that manic style that he has and Hogan is just he's portraying himself as the innocent man as the there's no there's no deceit in my body. I've I'm always been I was your brother I was your partner we were the mega powers we were one and Savage you know doubling on the you were never we were never one you are always coming at me and then in the last couple of weeks, the last two weeks, um, as we sort of build into mania, that the 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 interviews then shift to that actual match. We've got a match. I'm going to beat you. I'm gonna I'm going to take back. You know, and Hogan coming back from, I'm taking back my title, and that was the one thing that really stands out in Hogan's interviews. I'm taking back my title. You've got my belt, and I want it back. And Savage. Yeah, this is my title. I want it. I'm going to beat you. You, you, you came after me, but I'm going to stop you. I'm going to put an end to all this. And, and that, and that's what it is. As we build week to week, they get more manic. But these interviews really seem to to present this picture that Hogan is the innocent man. Didn't do anything wrong. It's all been misjudged by Savage. Savage has misinterpreted all of his actions and all of the things he's done and he's taken it the wrong way. And Savage, you know, really reiterating the point of you're always coming for me. We were never really friends because you never, you were always jealous of me being the champ and you've always wanted what I've got and I'm not going to let you take it from me. And and that's where they come to this 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 thrust point of both guys saying, at WrestleMania I'm going to beat you. Uh Savage, I'm going to keep my belt and Hogan, I'm going to get back my title.
0: <laughs> All right, Dave. So, I'm going to present you with two scenarios as we get out of here. Hulk Hogan is he the good guy and Savage is a lunatic or is Hogan gunned for Savage's belt and his lady? Well, what is the verdict?
5: What is the verdict? Where do I stand? It, it's, as I said, WWE presented a, a story and a picture that they were able to really allow the fans, I think, to make up their own mind I leading to know. these interviews, leading to these interviews. And then these interviews were designed to paint Hogan as the face and Savage as the good guy. But I think they needed to use these interviews because I think there are a lot of fans. I'm one of those people who I look at the events and I see Hogan – Doing things that, it's not a misunderstanding, it's not a misrepresentation. As I said earlier, Hogan announces that Elizabeth is now his manager. Hogan never had a manager, never needed a manager from the time he came into the company as as the hero, the conquering hero, never needed a manager. Why all of a sudden does he need Elizabeth as his manager? Now, I will accept that the, the SummerSlam moment could have been an accident. But the hug at the end of uh, Survivor Series was not an accident. Hogan was celebrating, and he hooks Liz into his arms. Why is he hugging a girl who he knows is the love of his partner? You, you don't do that. I don't go out with my with my friends and hug their wives like you know, like like that. Like what would my wife say for one? But you don't do that. And then you've got. The Royal Rumble again, could it be? You could say it's a misjudge. He was trying to eliminate bad news, but at the same time, yeah, he was. as every man for himself. I think Savage reacted to the elimination. I, I'll give Hogan the benefit of the doubt there. But to me, the main event, it, it, it's all Hogan's in the wrong. I've always maintained Hogan's in the wrong. Why does he carry Liz away from the ring? Why is he crying over her at ringside? Why doesn't he just allow the medics to come down and take back? Well, Hogan left his partner. There, there's something there. He wanted Liz in a different way um, than, or at least it comes across to me. He wanted, Liz was more than just Savage's manager to Hogan. He wanted more of Liz and Savage didn't like that. Hogan didn't need it. And I've always felt that the end of, Game there, what happened at the main event? Savage was 100% in the right, 100% to be angry at Hogan for what happened, totally. And there are several times over the journey where Hogan makes the comment about it being my title, I want my title back. Not just in these interviews at WrestleMania, but he, there are several times you hear it in the build up between some Survivor Series and Royal Rumble, Hogan talking about it having been his title, and he never lost it. He never lost it properly. So I always felt Hogan Hogan overstepped the line. He crossed the line, and Savage reacted to that. That's how I feel.
0: So he never lost the title properly is fact. I would love to know what the 24-inch podcast guys would think with that Hulk Hogan goggles on here. I tend to... Agree slightly with you, but I'm gonna play play the Hollywood side of things, the Hulk Hogan side of things, and I say Hollywood for a reason because the brother's always a little heelish for a way, right? Mm. He was unjustly treated. The Ebner in DiBiase and Andre screwed him, and Savage benefited from it. Oh, yeah. And I know and leading into this for since 1985, Savage was a bad guy. He did bad things mm-hmm. to Ricky Steamboat. He did bad things to a lot of people. Right. So to his core, he's not really a good guy in this world. Right. He's mm-hmm. kind of a bad guy. So mm-hmm. Hogan was unjustly treated and the rules were broken. So he saw a, he knew the macho man vulnerability because they are friends, despite the macho man's. Um, let's just say, flaws of being a bad guy to his core. So Hogan manipulated his friend, perhaps, to get his prize back, to get his keys to the the castle, the WWE Championship. And perhaps, like you said, a few things with Elizabeth got in the way, some not on purpose, other towards the end on purpose, once he saw Randy getting mentally broken and mentally out of state. And I felt that he had a vulnerability and he had him on tilt and he, and he was going to catch him on the river and beat him in that game of poker. So I think from a good guys, from a from a standpoint, of from Hulk's standpoint, I think he, he uses Macho's temper and everything against mm. him to get, oh. selfishly, to get that title back for himself. But Absolutely. I think overall, I think this is a fantastic storytelling from the WWF. I think it is a top ten, five, three, one, two, whatever you want to call it. It is belongs in any conversation for top storyline in this mm. company's history for sure.
5: Oh, oh yeah, top top three. I, I would have not not in any order, but the three in yeah. my mind, the three greatest storylines that I believe have happened in the last yeah since I've been a fan. The Mega Powers journey, the Austin McMahon storyline. And honestly, I think what they've done with the bloodline over the past couple of years, yeah. well, at least probably until yeah, you know, sort of the Sami Zayn, Jay Uso endpoint, but that, pin, but pin. where it's going, but but certainly that those are to me have been the three greatest storylines of the of the company in in the time I've I've been a fan. This one, yeah, it's one of the top three. How you choose to rank it probably probably sits on where your fandom lies when you were truly yeah. the big fan. I think what you said about Hogan manipulating things is 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 very valid. I believe this storyline if it was done any time from 1997 on Hogan comes out of this as the heel and Savage as the face because the the way it was presented the, the like you said the manipulation the misrepresentation the subtleness to it the modern fan would be picking up on that straight away. Would be talking about it on the net, and everyone would be That's siding with world. Savage. Yeah, everyone would be so siding cool. with Savage. You can't, but but in 1988, 89 it's a different world Hogan was the good guy, and, and you could you could manipulate the fans through yeah. the use of the interviews, which is what these interviews leading to WrestleMania really did. It was a final manipulation of the fans by the company to be going Hogan is the good guy, he's the hero, he's the champion who's going to uphold everything that's right. And Savage is the guy who's in the wrong. He's misread what Hogan's um, approach was. He's misread his intentions. And he's the one who's ended the friendship by turning on his partner when all his partner was doing was looking out for their manager. That That's, that's the premise of these interviews. And it really was to nut it down so that at WrestleMania and beyond, you had a clear cut. Hogan is the good guy. Savage is the bad guy going into that WrestleMania main event, which I, I'm all excited for.
0: It's going to be a great one. Um, it's a it's a fantastic match. We've laid everything out here. We skimmed it over. We've gone over. It's been a, the heartbeat of Cronoso for the last year pretty much. So, mm-hmm. Dave, we're finally at the finish line. We are oh, at yeah. the road of WrestleMania, and we will bring it to you here at next episode here at Cronoso, buddy.
5: And in the words of Randy Savage, all I can say is, "Oh yeah! All
0: right, Dave. We will see you on the next one, buddy. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. That's it for this episode of Cronoso. We will be back in a month. Yes, we are skipping the second episode of January. We're going to release WrestleMania Five on the first Sunday of February 2024. The YouTube channel will be busy in the meantime, though. Check out the Cronoso Countdown, counting down the top 10 competitors in Royal Rumble history. And then, of course, for modern-day Royal Rumble, check out the YouTube for Royal Rumble match previews. So, unfortunately, Cronoso will be taking a little bit of a backseat, but no need to worry. It will be back in February with a strong WrestleMania 5 episode. Uh, If I could give one recommendation, I would check out the Sportscaster's latest episode where Steve Bennett from Cronoso interviewed a very popular sports media member, and that is Bob Costas. So if you have any interest in sports media or sports in general, Steve did a great job running down Bob's career. It is a 55-minute interview, and it is excellent. So kudos to you, Steve, and... If you haven't yet, please go check it out, guys. But for here on Cronoso,
2: that is it for now, guys. We will see you in a moment.